to Dark Discussions, your place for the discussion of horror film, fiction, and all that's fantastic. A weekly podcast here. The discussion is about the most recent horror and genre films. Intelligent talk on a genre that deserves intelligence. A conversation between co-hosts discussing not only the film, but also the connotation that the directors and screenwriters are trying to articulate. When you want more than a review, listen to Dark Discussions. And speaking of perception, there's just one more scene I want to talk about, which is after Caleb discovers that Kyoto's a robot, Kyoto kind of peels off her skin, showing him what's underneath. Now, wait a minute. I know where you're going with this, but tell me you weren't already thinking this 15 minutes earlier in the film. Exactly what he's thinking at that moment. Which is he's a robot, too. Oh, I consider the possibility. Right, and that's what I like, is the fact that the writers are smart enough to know that this is what the audience would be thinking. We've all seen Blade Runner. Right. <laughs> Exactly. www.darkdiscussions.com Wherever podcasts are found. Hello, welcome once again to Halloween Boutique Psychotronic Reviews, Episode 8. The prior episode was released in November of 2018. However, due to some issues I was unable to record a new episode until now eight months or so later thank you for your patience and once again joining my boutique label review podcast basically what is Halloween boutique psychotronic reviews we here or specifically me review mostly four to seven discs basically movies that have been released by boutique labels mostly cult films genre films horror films art house films foreign films and whatnot basically if you are a fan of cult films and genre films you may be curious about various films that have been released on boutique labels or smaller label disc companies and wonder if they would be something you would want to see so, this episode here, unlike prior episodes, is a little different. Prior episodes, I randomly picked various discs, usually newer ones, but a couple of older discs, and the genres have been very different, in a sense. Mixed between horror, sci-fi, cult films, midnight films, whatever. And I would just watch them and then review them, giving some details behind the filmmakers and the label, and so forth. This episode here is a little different. I've decided to do a themed episode where all the films are somewhat related. Basically in the month of June when I watched almost all these films it was considered what um, I guess uh, um, some folks have called a themed month in a sense. For example um, February is considered uh, African American or, or Black History Month. Uh, I do know in the area that I live, I believe it's March that is considered uh, Quebec American Month. Uh, but in the month of June, it's I'm not sure if this is the first time this has happened, but uh, it was it was promoted fairly a lot on social media. Uh, it was called the LGBTQ Pride Month. And so what I've decided to do is watch films that were themed 
related to the month of June and the month that it has been designated by uh, some communities. So uh, LGBTQ films, but specifically uh, films uh, related to uh, lesbians. Uh, the reason I am choosing uh, these films again is specifically because of the theme. I said why not uh, watch the theme. Uh, the difference is is that a lot of cult films and whatnot that have these type of themes are usually simply midnight movies or grindhouse films and the whatnot and aren't necessarily uh, serious films. They're more of popcorn and have a blast with your buddies. But I decided to uh, stay away from those type of films for this episode since uh, the LGBTQ Pride Month obviously is a more serious, um, I guess, celebration, I guess the term would be. So I decided to uh, actually watch art house films instead uh, related to the theme um, for the month of June. Um, so all the films that I've released, not released, but watched, are specifically art house films. That means they would be in your uh, art house theaters in usually big cities or uh, towns like Bohemian towns and so forth. Um, each of them um, would, would be, or at least was marketed as um, dramas more than anything else that uh, had an LGBTQ, um, if not theme, uh, large um, portion of the story related to that theme itself. Uh, so uh, I've done at least five or six films, there may be actually seven or eight, I can't remember, but depending on how many films that I review in this episode will determine how long I talk about them because obviously if, if I'm closer to eight uh, I'll probably cut the reviews down to 10 to 15 minutes. Uh, I do know that one film I did see will be a fairly short review because it was just a film that I, I did not like and, and don't want to really say anything more except that it was not a good film at least for me. Uh, the other films were all uh, fairly uh, good and some were actually fantastic um, and oddly one of them turned out to be uh, more in my opinion a midnight movie even though it has been pushed strongly as an art house um, themed film uh, so uh, it's, it's a very eclectic group of films um, but all of them would most certainly be films that you would probably see at an art house film theater or whatnot. Uh, so I guess with that stated, uh, let me give you some further details about the podcast, how you can contact it and so forth. Halloween Boutique Psychotronic Reviews is a podcast that can be found on two feeds. So wherever uh, podcasts are found, such as iTunes, Stitchers, or Google Play, um, you could find us under the title Halloween Boutique Psychotronic Reviews. Or you could find us under the podcast designation of Dark Discussions Podcast. And the reason for that is, is that Dark Discussions Podcast is the umbrella podcast for all podcasts that I actually participate in, at least as, not as, a, as a host, not as a guest host. 
and uh, basically Dark Discussions is a podcast that has been around since 2011 where we discuss various type of genre films, mostly horror, sci-fi, fantasy, thrillers, techno thrillers, mysteries, midnight movies, cult films, grindhouse films, and the, and the like, drive-in films, whatever. Uh, we usually uh, review a lot of newer films uh, as they come out on VOD or at theaters, and we not just review them, but we do an in-depth critique and discuss our feelings and the meaning of the films, not just to us, but what we believe the screenwriters and directors are trying to say. Uh, it's, as again, it's been around for just over seven years. The podcast is fairly successful. Uh, it's been nominated for a Rondo Award twice, I believe, uh, which is a podcasting uh, award, as well as most other horror and genre um, I guess uh, things, so movies, comic books, uh, artwork, podcasts, books, you know, all those things, magazines, articles on horror and so forth. Uh, Rondo is an award that's given out to all these different categories and it was formed by a reporter that, if I'm not mistaken, was a USA Today reporter and is still to this day. Uh, but don't quote me on that. You can just Google uh, Rondo Awards to find that out. But either way, it was someone of prominence that actually does these awards. Um, we also do You Know Nothing, Jon Snow, a Game of Thrones podcast. And we do a Bullets, Brothels, and Bots, a Westworld podcast, which just wrapped up. That podcast actually uh, was mentioned by Huffington Post. Uh, so that was a great honor to hear that. So uh, all in all, Dark Discussions, uh, the feed itself will basically pick up every podcast that we do. So the Halloween Boutique Psychotronic Review feed will just have this podcast, but the Dark Discussions feed will have Halloween Boutique Psychotronic Reviews, but also uh, the other podcasts that I have mentioned. A, third, uh, a fourth podcast that is under the umbrella of Dark Discussions is Searching for American Gods, an American Gods podcast based off of the Star television show where we discuss that show as well. Um, the Westworld podcast has obviously just uh, gone into hiatus as the season just ended, but all ten episodes of season two where we discuss each episode is now available for listen. You can find everything, including Halloween Boutique Psychotronic Reviews at www.darkdiscussions.com where we have links to our Facebook group, Dark Discussions Podcast, and our email, darkdiscussions at aol.com. Since it's been a while, there hasn't been any emails for the Halloween Boutique Psychotronic Reviews Podcast, but if you do have any questions or suggestions or whatnot. So, for example, if you wanted to do, have us, or me, I should say, do a themed episode on boutique label releases of women in prison films, or uh, zombie films, or vampire films, or witches films, or other German language horror films, or whatnot, just uh, email darkdiscussions at AOL.com and uh, send me your email and I'll take a look. 
So I believe I pretty much wrapped everything up for the preamble of this episode. So uh, let's get into our art house reviews on boutique label films related to the LGBTQ Pride Month of June, specifically uh, lesbian uh, themed films. The film I'm going to discuss is called Below Her Mouth. It stars Natalie Krill and Erica Linder. It is a film by a director named April Mullen and it is written by Stephanie Fabrizi. This is a Canadian production and film specifically from English-speaking Canada. I will read the back jacket of this film on the disc itself. It specifically says Jasmine, played by Natalie Krill, is a successful fashion editor living with her fiancé, Ryle. On a night out in the city with her best friend, she meets Dallas, played by Erica Linder, a roofer recently out of a relationship. Surprised by the confidence with which Dallas pursues her, Jasmine turns Dallas down, but can't get her out of her head. When Jasmine finally succumbs to Dallas's advances, the two women embark on a steamy affair that forces her to reevaluate her life. Uh, this film has a few other things. It premiered at TIFF, or the Toronto International Film Festival, which is pretty, um, I guess, uh, impressive. Uh, there is a blurb on the front cover by She D Does the City. Never heard of that uh, blog or website or whatever it is. But it says, A Cinematic Voice to the Female Orgasm. Uh, which pretty much applies here. Um, uh, the film, as I stated, uh, was a TIFF release in 2016, but did not become available to the general public until September of 2017. So it is a September 2017 release. Um, the distributor um, is some company called Gunpowder and Sky. Um, the box office actually was $36,000, so it had a limited release uh, at theaters, most likely Canada. Not much information is given. Uh, the film uh, has a Rotten Tomato score of 23% at the moment. Uh, out of 26 reviews, uh, 6 are fresh, 20 are rotten. Um, when I first saw this film uh, about a month ago, I believe it was in the 30s, like 36%. So as newer reviews are being popped up, it keeps on dropping in the reviews. So I believe this is the worst rated film by Rotten Tomatoes that I am reviewing in this episode. Now the director is a, a curiosity. Um, she has spoken uh, about filmmaking in general and uh, the female and male gaze. Um, I'm taking this quote uh, from her, and this is what it says. Uh, she says, Women have this vulnerability and connection to a depth of emotions that I can see and feel in certain moments of truth in films we create. 
meaning woman. To me, the female gaze is transparency. The veil between audience and filmmaker is thin, and that allows people in more. Um, and she believes that, uh, as quoted here, she is also sought out for her perspective for the female gaze in movies. Uh, she's uh, directed a handful of films, uh, none I have heard about besides this film here. Um, oddly, her quotes and her opinion on the female gaze in cinema um, is interesting since this film here most certainly does not have a female gaze at all. In my opinion, this film is very much what we would call, quote-unquote, the male gaze or the sexualization of the female form or woman in general in media. Um, although this film is considered an art house film and has been reviewed by many mainstream and significant critics, uh, specifically as examples, I will name some here, they would be such uh, companies or blogs as Hollywood Reporter, Indie Wire, The Washington Post, Variety, Village Voice, Arizona Republic, and so on. Uh, so this film did get some notoriety through the mainstream press and therefore as a quote-unquote art house film or indie film I have included it here. I went in completely blind as I try to with most films not watching a trailer or reading reviews or reading blurbs. The only thing I check is always the Rotten Tomatoes score since if I need some sort of semblance of what I'm going to watch at least I get something because again I try to avoid all trailers. Um, now uh, this film is not the worst film I saw of the bunch but it's not a great film by any means. Uh, it's fantastically uh, filmed so the cinematography is absolutely phenomenal and beautiful. Uh, the acting is solid as can be but based off of what the story and screenplay is it is really not an art house film at all and I would call it more of a exploitation film or a midnight movie trying to uh, hide in a art house screenplay so basically the uh, thing of where a woman uh, believes she's heterosexual and may have had uh, fantasies otherwise uh, is actually most likely bisexual or a lesbian and decides to come out or at least if not come out at least experiment into what she really thinks she is and hoping uh, for the best. Um, now, uh, the two lead actresses, uh, once again, I will uh, uh, give you their names. Natalie Krill is the woman that believes she is heterosexual, and Erica Linder is an open uh, lesbian. Uh, both women are uh, gorgeous. Erica Linder is actually a Swedish actress who I believe has become a Canadian citizen, has moved to Canada, but was originally born and raised in Sweden. Uh, her character is 
uh, the secondary character, in my opinion. She's the roofer. She owns her own roofing company. Um, has uh, you know the equipment and, and workers that she has hired. She uh, seems fairly successful, um, and she is an open lesbian. Uh, Natalie Krill is what we would call a pinup, uh, gorgeous, very feminine woman. Uh, she not only dresses and looks like a model, but she is the editor or fashion editor of a magazine uh, and a, f a company that does photography for women's magazines. Um, so she actually works in the feminine industry of, I guess, fashion and makeup and so forth. Um, basically, she's engaged. Her fiancé goes away for business. And she obviously stays and lives alone when that happens because they uh, live basically together. Uh, next door there is a uh, roofing company uh, stated owned by uh, the Erica Linder character. She notices them and then on a whim goes out with her best friend. They land up in a gay bar, specifically a lesbian bar, they then um, just hang out there. Uh, the Natalie Krill character gets hit on, but then the Erica Linder character comes and saves her from the forward woman uh, trying to hit on her. Um, so they somewhat become friendly, even though she meeting the Natalie uh, Krill character uh, does not, um, I guess, accept the come on from the Erica Linder character. Um, but what happens is, uh, as stated, coincidence or not, uh, Erica Linder's character works next door at the house next door, repairing a roof next door, and one thing leads to another where they meet outside in the driveways and they f finally decide to uh, hang out as quote-unquote friends for drinks even though Natalie Krill's character most certainly knows that this is more than that even if she only plans to go as a friend. One thing leads to another and we have a major steamy sexual affair between the two girls. Um, the quote-unquote softcore sex scenes that are in this film, which was um, quote-unquote an art house film, uh, were very much explicit. I was almost to the point where I believed and still believe that they were most certainly having real sex. Um, so it was somewhat shocking. It's definitely not a film that would get a rating at theaters. Um, th honestly, this film here has sex scenes that I felt were more explicit than those late night Cinemax, HBO, Showtime films that just pop up uh, after 11 o'clock at night. Um, though not necessarily 
as strong as what we would call an adult blue film. Uh, but it was shocking nonetheless. So as a midnight movie, this film is absolutely fantastic because if you're looking for exploitation cinema or uh, grindhouse cinema or, or midnight movie cinema, this film is fantastic for that. So if you're a fan of that type of film, uh, this is your film. Uh, as a art house lesbian film, it's a complete failure. Uh, again, it felt more like a string of naughty sex scenes um, and the quote-unquote awakening of the Natalie Krill uh, character didn't feel that much of a... Um, it just didn't feel real, I guess. And her uh, interest in in the the roofer didn't feel real either. It felt more of like a fling rather than anything else. Uh, their quote-unquote love, I guess, for each other um, just didn't didn't feel real at all. Um, Obviously, they're both successful people, but they don't seem like they would have anything in common except for lust. And so, if anything, even if Natalie Krill's character did have this quick relationship with the roofer, it felt like it would have been just a first step to um, uh, becoming a, a lesbian, uh, is the term. So... It, it didn't feel like something that would last or she would uh, pursue in the long run. Uh, so I felt that was unfortunate. And as a result, um, the movie becomes a, kind of like a sappy love story where there is a fiancé who has a unrewarding part in the film. Uh, it just felt... I don't know. It just felt... It just felt uh, immoral in the sense of uh, because it's about cheating fiancés and things like that. Um, if it had been something else where the fiancé was a dirtbag or not very loving, you could like the character more for sure. And also if the story was an awakening of her sexuality rather than a love story for someone that she has nothing in common with but uh, lust, then it could be a, a good film. So as an art house indie lesbian film, it's an absolute complete failure uh, and most certainly deserves its 20 whatever percentage on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, but as a exploitation film, this most certainly is a 100% um, because it has everything um, that would be perfect for uh, the midnight movie crowds from uh, all the boutique labels that we've seen in the past. Um, so you, depending on your tastes, uh, this will be a failure or not. For me, I was disappointed because I was expecting an art house drama and what I got was a exploitation film. Um, however, as an exploitation film, it is uh, really good, as you would could gather. Um, the Natalie Krill 
character, or I should say the actress herself, is phenomenal looking. Really good looking woman. Um, I guess its most famous uh, note, otherwise, is that it was rated by Mr. Skin as 10 best uh, scenes of 2017 uh, in the cinema or television. Um, so I guess that's, you know, something. Um, but if you're into art house films, skip it. If you're into exploitation films with uh, a lot of female nudity and strong softcore sex scenes, and I put quotes around softcore, um, this film is most certainly one to check out. So once again, uh, Below Her Mouth, 2017. Okay, the next film that I'm going to review is called AWOL, A-W-O-L. Uh, that specifically uh, is all caps and is directly related to the phrase of what happens if you abandon your position in the military without permission. Uh, the film is a 2017 film. Uh, it is considered a romantic drama. It's most certainly uh, independent cinema. Uh, it was directed by a woman named Deb Chevelle, and she co-wrote the screenplay with Carolina Wachlowiak and it is actually based on a short film entitled A Wall as well, also directed by Deb Chevelle. Uh, the film has a fairly large cast in the sense that there's uh, a lot of peripheral characters. However, the film is truly a lead by two actresses, Alola Kirk, or Kirk Kay, uh, K-I-R-K-E. I guess she is uh, fairly well known uh, on the television scene. I've never seen her prior to this film. Um, she was originally born in England and now uh, lives in the United States. Uh, basically her father was the drummer of a rock band uh, bad company and free so she obviously uh, comes from some note some money uh, basically bad company and free were, were fairly two large bands back in the heyday of classic rock and um, I know bad company uh, I believe was a British band and actually even opened up for some huge bands such as Led Zeppelin uh, her mother uh, was Lorraine and was the owner of a boutique company, uh, vintage boutique company in New York City called Nola and so forth. Uh, her um, note of television, films, whatever, uh, Mozart in the Jungle, she had a starring role in, which is a, some show I've never heard of. Um, but uh, I guess she has some sort of a following because of that show. Um, and she had a starring role in Mistress America as well. And she actually was in David Finch's Gone Girl, um, a supporting role in that, though I don't remember her. Uh, the other actress is Brita Wool, 
and Brita Wool is another actress that's done mostly uh, television, um, but she was uh, the star of the the film uh, AWOL, the the short that this was originally based on. Um, Lola Kirky, uh she plays a character named Joey, and Brita Wool plays a character named Raina. Uh, Deb Cheval is from the north east part of Pennsylvania, um, I believe Allentown, and this here film takes place in that general area or that suburb area of Allentown. Uh, let me read the back of the jacket um, on the DVD. Uh, the DVD is released by the company The Orchard, which releases a number of uh, independent cinema. They're pretty um, decent uh, company actually uh, even if they do not uh, release hundreds of films a year like some other companies uh, so uh, this is what it says it says Lola Kirky uh, from Mozart in the Jungle and Mistress America shines as Joey an aimless high school graduate searching for a way out of Pennsylvania cold country a visit to an army recruiting office appears to provide a path however a chance encounter with magnetic Raina played by Brenda Wool of Unreal and Mr. Mercedes, a slyly seductive housewife and mother neglected by her long-haul trucker husband, changes Joey's trajectory irrevocably. As Joey falls more in love with Raina, clouded judgments leads her down a path she can't turn back from with powerful performances from Kirky and Wool. Director Deb Chauval's feature film, Debut is a splendid and brooding meditation on the boundless possibilities of first love constricted by the trials of rural poverty. Um, now, uh, Dev Cheval's um, demographics, I'm not sure, so I'm not sure if, if she happens to be part of the LGBTQ community or not. No matter. Um, this film um, has more to do than with the LGBTQ community, and I'll discuss that in a moment. Uh, the film has nine reviews on Rotten Tomatoes for a 100% rating, meaning all nine reviews were a uh, big thumbs up. As you can gather, since there's only nine reviews for what is a well-crafted art house film, uh, which is surprising there's only nine reviews for it, um, you can gather that it wasn't... Um, I guess released to critics as, as easily as you would think most films of this uh, would be. Um, some of the critics that re uh, reviewed it were Variety and um, International Business Times. Uh, so not not many huge companies reviewed it, except for Variety, I would say. Um, now, um, the film takes place uh, from Joey's perspective. Uh, she is pretty much in every piece of the film and the entire film is from her perspective so she is the nominal lead even though you could say this is a co-lead film um, my impressions of this film is that it is by far the best film of all eight films that I've reviewed for this Halloween Boutique Psychotronic Reviews um, even though there was only nine reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, and some of those reviews gave it high 
uh, honors as a great film, but many also said it was a good film with flaws, but generally um, well done. And uh, all in all, uh, this film is fantastic. I think this is the best film um, I may have seen in 2018, even though this wouldn't qualify for a 2018 film since it's from last year. Um, now, uh, even though the, the lead character is um, a lesbian, um, she is um, more than, than that. The story obviously is going to focus on that, but uh, there's more being said as well. Uh, to set up the story, uh, basically she is a lesbian that dresses what they like a tomboy and in this community they call lesbians tomboys um, I'm not sure um, why or, or what why that is used but rather than saying um, gay or lesbian or whatever they, they just say tomboy um, and it is known that she is a tomboy people do know this um, if you just look at her you would certainly have no idea because um, I, I was a bit surprised how just mere acquaintances or strangers just assumed that she was um, lesbian because of how she dressed which to be honest wasn't much different than many women would dress anyway um, jeans um, and sometimes I think overalls because it is a farmer community um, shirts blouses whatever um, generally clothes that any woman would wear that would be going to the grocery store rather than uh, clubbing at night so I, I'd, I'm not sure how or why they would think she would be um, a lesbian with that ease of, of guess uh, but taking that out of the picture um, it's, it's known that she is a lesbian to those who know her and those who don't know her just assume so based off of the quote-unquote tomboy um, presentation that she gives. Um, the lead actress is absolutely a gorgeous woman uh, and the co-lead is, is very attractive as well. So this is, is pretty typical of any movie. They cast basically uh, tens or pinups uh, even in this case. Um, though being a uh, woman director I'm sure um, that wasn't necessarily the intention except that those who do uh, succeed even in uh, independent and art house cinema happen to be more attractive than uh, the regular person on the street. Um, so what happens is is the, the lead actress Joey, the character, um, works at a, a, a fair, you know, like a weekly fair or flea market that has obviously retailers and whatnot, but also rides for the kiddies and ice cream and all that. She works at an ice cream truck. Um, one late night, um, this really uh, attractive woman, um, comes by with her friends. She's dressed in cowboy boots, Daisy Dukes, 
uh, cut off shirt. So, you know, she's out and about. Um, and she basically meets Joey and brings Joey back to her house to hang out and whatnot. And one thing leads to another. And uh, Joey has the, the one night stand. And when she wakes up in the morning, she, she is awoken to the sound of children and she finds out that this woman who she happened to spend a night with actually is married with children. Uh, so this woman, Raina, is married with children. We learn that her husband is away a lot because he is a truck driver, uh, goes across the country, delivers um, whatever. And so uh, she's left alone a lot. Uh, though she does seem to be flirtatious um, and probably unfaithful, we do understand that it is with women and not men. So she, you could argue that she is either bisexual or um, uh, LG, a lesbian in quote unquote the closet though she's married. Uh, we do learn things about her that she um, is a bit promiscuous because um, she doesn't think this relationship with Joey is long term though Joey of course uh, in a town that isn't or in any any area where only a, a minority community may be of um, the LGBTQ especially in a rural place such as this um, they are um, not common and so if she's gonna find someone um, that you know here's an opportunity and of course as I stated uh, Rainer uh, though not as attractive as Joey is most certainly attractive and so that obviously uh, gives her more of a drive to try to keep this going um, so you can gather that there's a couple of things of issue here obviously there's a woman that's having an affair with Joey who is married with children how's that gonna work um, if she's found out you, well, you know what's that gonna mean um, but we do learn things about which is this side of town where Raina lives is that quote-unquote other side of the tracks we also learn that her husband is seems at least decent decent person I mean he has tattoos and whatnot uh, so uh, an intellectual may poo-poo him but um, as a human being he seems okay uh, I didn't see any issues uh, good father and good husband when she is uh, when, when he is uh, returned um, but it also is known that Raina is kind of a uh, uh, what's the term uh, a untrustworthy individual because she is a user at least that's the rumor uh, rumor in the sense that whether she flirts with guys whether she has had an affair with women before that people know about uh, whether she's all, always out partying and leaves her kids with babysitters and so forth um, I'm not making a judgment this is what the characters in the movie say such as Joey's mother Joey's sister Joey's brother-in-law 
I'll say be, beware of Raina. Um, so uh, the title of the film, AWOL, um, is interesting because the very beginning of the film, the first scene of the film, is Raina and her mother go to the United States Army recruiting office because her mother wants her to join the military because at this point she hasn't decided what she wants to do with her life and her mother thinks that the military may be a good solution to at least get her jump started. Uh, her other daughter um, appears to be stuck in the in the town because she's married with a kid or our kid is on the way I should say and uh, she's opened up her little business uh, so their only quote-unquote last hope of getting out of Allentown is Joey and uh, at this point she is uh, I guess uh, a drifter in a sense um, so uh, later in the film um, she eventually does join the military uh, at the request of Raina because uh, Raina does state that she's willing to leave her husband and take the kids with her and move with Joey somewhere but she wants to be um, what we would call um, taken care of uh, not have to worry about money so at a whim Joey does join the military her parents or I should say her mother because the father uh, um, isn't mentioned um, is delighted, her sister and her brother-in-law are delighted, um, and it also gets her away from uh, Reina, in a sense. But, as love can do, um, yeah, it can uh, do crazy things to you, and therefore Reina uh, may be a draw that's too strong for Joey, um, even if the military is only quote unquote temporarily uh, what is that, the, uh, the army is I believe two years once you sign up but what happens in two years, you're, you're obviously you're separated, you gotta go to boot camp for three months, then you got to be stationed wherever they send you and it may not necessarily be near Rainer. So the title may play into the film, but that's something that you'll have to watch. Um, but the most remarkable thing about this film isn't the the lesbian aspect and what the film's trying to say about that. I think the most remarkable thing this film is saying is is monetary uh, issues with rural communities and those that are not in rural communities. Um, because the director, even though she may be a lesbian, I cannot say, because I, I could not find enough information, um, it could just be a story that was interesting to her. But I think the thing that really interests her is um, the differences in income between rural people and others. Because she grew up in Allentown. I read that um, in some interview that her, her, the way she was brought up was similar to how she, this film is in the sense that, you know, uh, lower middle class or upper lower class working class people who seem to be stuck uh, in a town that doesn't have bright futures for most. Um, 
so there's some scenes in this that are really interesting. Um, we have a scene where Joey, after Rainer, goes back to her husband for, at a point, goes out to a local bar in a uh, neighboring vi village or town, maybe Allentown itself, and she meets this uh, woman there. And this woman happens to be uh, wealthy, educated, I think going to a pretty good school. I forget which one, Cornell or, 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 or something maybe like Notre Dame. I can't remember. And she uh, is, a, is a lesbian or a bisexual and hooks up with uh, Joey. And then she takes Joey back to her house. Um, Joey, you could tell, um, is obviously an outsider with this girl and her friends, never mind with this girl alone, because even though they're liberal progressives, you would call them, uh, I guess, limousine liberals. Uh, in other words, people who are filthy rich, who that are progressive, yet don't understand the rural community and the poverty of people in farming communities uh, or rural communities. Um, and it's very striking, uh, these scenes, because I, I have no idea what the political persuasion is of the director, but I could state that, uh, similar to uh, the director of the movie Get Out, where they make a play on white people, liberal, liberal white folk, uh, trying to be cordial and understanding to African-American or black folk and reality what they are are just bigots themselves. Uh, this film here kind of feels the same way but with class discrimination rather than ethnicity and uh, I think it is interesting because a lot of folks forget that class and money break people apart and separate people's opinions more so than many other things of note. And if you're a Democrat or a Republican from a poor community and you meet a Democrat or a Republican from a wealthy community, you are still completely different and your thinking of why you are that political belief is completely different than someone from the other class. And this girl here, that sh this wealthy girl, when uh, she asks Joey what do you like to do on weekends, Joey says, I like picking up girls. And immediately she says, the term isn't girls, it's woman. We should always be called woman. Girls is not a nice thing to say, and so on and so forth. And Joey's looking at her like completely clueless, um, doesn't even know if it's an insult or if it's a slap on a hand, she's just confused because she has been isolated from what uh, these wealthy elites try to have to do with social justice and whatnot. Um, and then in the scene uh, when they decide to become the one night stands lovers or whatnot, the girl pulls out um, um, what they call a strap-on and says, have you ever used this before? And 
after the scene ends, we see Joey leaving the mansion, just walking home, no car, no ride home, no cab, um, and the, this mansion with a fence, like a, a cast iron fence in the background, is, is very, very interesting shot, um, and very powerful. Um, it's because it felt like, as if Joey had just been used. Uh, again, each person individually can make their own judgment. She could have just walked out. She didn't have to go back. But as we know, exploitation of those um, that don't have uh, money or power or, or anything of, of note uh, can happen even if... Um, they so desire to be exploited. Um, obviously, for example, if, if you're poor, you're going to be willing to take a job for 50 cents an hour in some thir uh, developing nation, even though that technically is exploitation of that person because they should get better wages than that, and so on and so forth. Um, and it was also interesting that the casting of the wealthy girl was uh, mulatto or or African-American or, or, or a black person because typically like we see in the film Get Out the wealthy folk were white Caucasian progressives or, or what we would call limousine liberals if you want to be derogatory and here the wealthy progressive limousine liberal is actually um, of, of a uh, minority race or, or mixed race so uh, I thought that was very interesting as well the casting for that could have just been that was the best actress for the role or it could have been uh, on purpose I'm, I'm not sure but either way it was something of note um, I don't want to get further into the film or tell details of what happens is their relationship doomed meaning Rainer and Joey and is Joey going to get out of the town or is she a doomed character um, you'd have to just see the film um, but it's a high recommend absolutely fantastic film um, for those who are looking for exploitation elements there is a number of nude scenes uh, nothing very graphic uh, also a quick um, sex, sex scene again not anything graphic but uh, the actress Lola Kirk or Kirke, however you pronounce it, um, she's pr she's pretty good looking woman. I'll just I'll just put it at that. Um, so uh, all in all, uh, the highest of recommends. This will be a film I shall watch again um, because I love dramas and art house films and films that talk about things that this film talked about. Uh, not necessarily the the lesbian aspect, but. Uh, the disparity of uh, classes aspect, uh, especially the rural uh, world or the rural, rural America versus the elite, wealthy city folk, and so on. Uh, so, high recommend film once again is called A Wall, A W O L, and it was the best of the eight films that I am reviewing today. And that was a surprise because. Obviously, um, there's some other more higher profile films than this one, but this one here easily 
Um, I guess it, it just completely surprised me. Completely surprised me. Um, so, uh, yeah, once again, high recommend. The film that I'm going to talk about right now is actually probably considered the definitive film for, uh, I guess, the LGBTQ, specifically lesbian, uh, community. Uh, this film is called Blue is the Warmest Color. Color is spelled C-O-L-O-R or C-O-L-O-U-R, depending on what part of the world you're from. And so if you search for it, you should uh, spell it based off of the spelling in your area. Uh, the film is a French film. It came out at Cannes uh, a few years ago, basically 2013. It has uh, received high acclaim. Rotten Tomatoes has given it a 90% score, which is a little higher than it was a month ago when I first saw the film. It unanimously won the Palme d'Or uh, from Cannes, which is uh, one of the highest awards, or, or the highest award of all. Uh, the film is uh, directed by a man named Abdelatif Kachishi. I'm uh, probably destroying that name, but it is uh, uh, a very difficult name to say. Uh, it was also screenwritten by him, as well as someone named Galia LaCroix. Uh, the film stars two women. Leah Sedo is listed as the, the lead on most art for the film, though she is actually the secondary character. However, at the time, she was the big name in the film, while Adele Exarchopoulos was the true lead and uh, she was a newcomer and has become a star especially in French cinema since this film. Uh, let me read the back jacket of the disc that I have here which is actually a Criterion Collection disc so uh, being uh, the type of film it is Criterion grabbed it. Unfortunately uh, this version of a Criterion Collection disc is weak very weak on extras. It really just has the trailer and a essay, and that's it. Um, so unlike most Criterion discs, this one is actually cheaper, usually five to ten dollars cheaper than most Criterion collection discs. Uh, and this is what it says on the back of the jacket. It says. The colorful, electrifying romance that took the Cannes Film Festival by storm courageously dives into a young woman's experiences of first love and sexual awakening. Blue is the warmest color, stars the remarkable newcomer Adele Exarchopoulos as a high schooler who, much to her own surprise, plunges into a thrilling relationship with a female 20-something art student, played by Leah Sedou. Directed by Abdelatif Kachishi, this finely detailed intimate epic sensitively renders this erotic abandon of youth. It has captured and captivated international audiences and been widely embraced as a defining love story for the new century. Uh, first thing of note, this is most certainly an epic. Uh, this film is very long, uh, it's almost three hours long. Um, 
it's an epic in the sense that it takes place in life of the lead characters um, life between the age of 17 to I believe maybe 30 the same actress plays the role throughout uh, the two characters uh, are Emma who is the artist and Adele played by Adele Excarcopolis uh, is the as I said the teenager lead star of the film at the time of this film I believe she was 19 the actress and Leah Sedu was around 25 or 26 um, some issues for those who may be offended uh, there is what we call uh, relationships between a 17 year old girl and an adult female woman and it's portrayed in this film so if you have uh, issues with the characterizations of those under the age of 18 in relationships with those who are adults uh, this film is something you should probably not see because the first hour or so of the film uh, takes place when the woman, um, or I should say the girl, was 17 years old as a character. Uh, the, the film, as I stated, is a French film. It takes place right near the uh, border with Belgium, a uh, city over there. Um, it is a metropolitan city, so this is not a rural setting uh, of a film as uh, some films have already or will be reviewing in this episode. Um, basically, uh, there was problems since the release of the film where the two lead actresses have uh, come out publicly and demonized the director because of uh, his actions on set. Uh, so there's been a large battle uh, in the press for the past uh, five years actually since the film has been released between the two lead actresses and the director. Uh, the director has been charged with forcing the lead actresses to do things that they fell now are inappropriate or in other words they were basically treated um, terribly on set specifically related to the simulated sex scenes in the film because uh, the director was claimed to have been forcing them to try to go quote-unquote real. Uh, this was before the Me Too era and so uh, you could say that uh, this isn't just coming out recently this has been known for a while uh, so a lot of controversy around this film and, and unfortunately it's or fortunately, depending on your perspective, has tainted this film a bit, even if it is has a or has a 90% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, for me, this film. What did I think of this film? Uh, oddly, this is not the best film I've seen. Uh, you would think it would be based off of the prestige that it has, but uh, I will state that um, A Wall is most certainly the better film in my opinion which also receives uh, fantastic reviews on Rotten Tomatoes and I review that film in this episode too um, but to speak of this film uh, basically we have this girl who's uh, 17 in high school 
uh, a very pretty um, normal middle class uh, family uh, at school the, the hot boy likes her she uh, has relations with him but then breaks up with him immediately <laughs> because she simply just doesn't like him and as we find out later she may even her in a sense doesn't know at the time she may be uh, lesbian or at least but she's definitely bisexual um, and uh, eventually she meets this blue-haired uh, woman artist that's trying to become a professional uh, artist uh, paintings and so forth um, and eventually she has a relationship with her at the age of 17 and this woman is about 23 or 24 years old um, there's a number of things that happen in the first half we learn a bit about uh, her friends and the acceptance and non-acceptance of uh, the gay lifestyle um, her what, uh, denying it versus um, not dying it um, t to be honest at the time when she gets attacked in school it's just when she's in a friendship with the artist and not having jumped the next step yet um, so that was interesting that they uh, focused on uh, bigotry in a sense uh, most of these films oddly do not focus on bigotry at all which is uh, very interesting uh, some of them do but uh, uh, most of them do not um, we eventually uh, go through the next two hours of her life with this woman this artist um, she's now a school teacher uh, the artist is still struggling trying to make a name for herself and then the last half hour or so is late 20s early 30s and so forth uh, and I won't exp tell what happens there whether the relationship lasts or what not um, this film does take some th things of note uh, there is again class um, problems so not only is this a film about the, the awakening of a woman to her sexuality but also um, the differences between a wealthier artiste uh, I guess liberal um, city type folk versus a working class or middle class girl who uh, doesn't look at uh, things the same way in life so you do see our lead actress while living with her new lover in the 20s and the age, you know when she's 20 something um, her feeling uncomfortable being with uh, folks who um, I guess would say I could say is they think their shit does not stink um, so I felt that was an interesting aspect of the film um, it is a slow film there is a lot of times where we just see the everyday things in life uh, for example our lead actress uh, which the film basically takes place from her perspective throughout the entire film uh, where she is a school teacher 
and then we have like 10 minute scenes of her just teaching uh, the students um, and I thought that was interesting um, for two reasons one it felt like a lot of those scenes most certainly could have been cut out but it was also interesting because when we read a book or see a, a movie uh, about someone's life uh, we never see really their work life at all that uh, we just see them coming home or going to work and unless the film is specifically related to the work uh, it's usually X out of uh, the art so I thought that was interesting to include it um, so uh, there's some spots though just as that those scenes as well as some others that seem to drag a bit technically I think this film could have been a fine two-hour film um, other things of note that's curious is we learn uh, the life of both uh, lead women's their family life um, where one is open about her sexuality or parents are uh, cosmopolitan artiste type folk while uh, the lead actress her character uh, like I said is middle class or working class folk and she says her friend is a t her tutor to help on some math or something and uh, she does not tell her family that she is in a relationship with the woman um, but as we go to the le next two hours of the film those items are completely removed from the script completely so though we have her dealing with her high school friends and her sexuality we don't have anything related to her family life and her sexuality um, and I thought that was very curious because it would have been interesting to see if she ever came out to them why she's not bringing guys home why she's living with a woman who used to be her t tutor uh, but again basically at the one hour mark we don't learn any more about her family life and we don't see them ever again in the film so I thought that was odd so there, there is things that make this film make me go eh, I don't think it's a, it's cl a classic as a lot of folks may think it is now again though still a good film and most certainly deserves a thumbs up in a great review uh, but just keep in mind you could leave the film having some questions and wondering what was really trying to be said uh, besides uh, the obvious uh, thing which is um, the awakening of a woman and her own sexuality uh, so yeah I would uh, recommend this film um, one thing of note that's important is the sex scenes in these uh, this film here are fairly long we're talking like two to three ten minute scenes of uh, sex uh, one heterosexual and two uh, uh, lesbian sex and they are fairly graphic to the point of um, it, it pretty looked close to that it was real um, so I could see how uh, the two lead actresses assuming they were prodded and pushed into doing the, the the scenes the way we see on screen I could see them uh, being quite upset uh, with what was the final product because of uh, these scenes are definitely uh, not for 
the the children. In other words, it's these are uh, it's it's fairly close to pornography, though uh, art house for sure or softcore as as they call it. Uh, it's just that it was very close, if not um, real. So um, keep that in mind. Uh, once again, this is uh, called the blue is the warmest color. I have no idea what that title means, but that's the name of the film. And uh, yeah, uh, it's a good film. Uh, the film that I'm going to review now is entitled Room in Rome. Uh, it's directed by a Spaniard. Uh, his name is uh, Julio Medem. Uh, the film stars uh, Elena Ananya and Natasha Yarovenko. Um, the film was also written by Julio Meden as well. Uh, actress Alana, Can Alana Anaya is a Spaniard actress and Natalia Ravenko is a Ukrainian actress. Um, and she happens to live in Spain uh, full-time. Uh, so a Spanish director uh, with two actresses that are from or live in Spain. Uh, the movie takes place in Rome and was actually filmed in Rome. And uh, the movie's notoriety is specifically for the fact uh, because of the director, uh, Julio Medem. Julio Medem uh, has done a number of films, but uh, he had a huge film back in 2001, which um, at least put him on the map for uh, the English-speaking world. Um, that film, uh, Spaniard film, uh, subtitled and whatnot, um, starred Paz Vega, uh, which uh, she's fairly well known in genre circles and uh, various other medium. Um, but that film got a lot of uh, note for its strong sexual content for a mainstream film. It also won the Goyer Award uh, for Best Female Newcomer in Paz Vega, and that made her a star. That film has pretty good reviews. Uh, this film here, though, um, is from 2010, um, so that, it's actually uh, eight years, nine years old now, which is kind of surprising. Um, unlike uh, the other films that I uh, have reviewed, uh, this one is very much uh, presenting uh, the LGBTQ, or I should say the, the lesbian theme, uh, in its marketing, uh, whether it's the posters, whether it is the disc covers for uh, the North American market or elsewhere, um, they have both lead actresses in very provocative poses with basically no clothes and um, their uh, um, new parts being covered by various things like their uh, arms or flowers or, or whatnot, depending on uh, which version of the poster or disc cover you see. Again, um, Room in Rome is an art house film. 
Uh, it's released by IFC, at least in North America. Um, it's actually by IFC Midnight, which is interesting because IFC Midnight usually releases mostly thrillers and horror films, uh, but they are releasing this as well under the Midnight um, sublabel uh, rather than IFC Straight. But this is in no way a thriller or a horror film. However, it is most certainly magical realism, and uh, I'll explain that in a moment. So that's probably the reason why it is may be considered a genre film. Uh, I actually thought this was going to be a uh, foreign language film rather than an English language film, but it is not. It's actually all in English. Uh, it's interesting how they get around that because basically if you think a Spaniard is directing it and it stars a Ukrainian actress and a Spaniard actress and it also takes place in Rome, you figure it would be some language other than English. But the two lead characters, uh, the, two, the two actresses, uh, which uh, they actually play um, a Spaniard and a Ukrainian, um, Alba, who is played by Elena Ananya, is a Spaniard, and Natasha, played by Natasha Yarovenko, is played um, as a Russian, even though the actress is actually Ukrainian. Um, but since they speak different languages, one is supposed to speak Russian and one is supposed to speak Spanish, and neither of them know Italian, they talk to each other in English. Uh, so it was a brilliant way for this film to get uh, more uh, uh, notice by uh, American and English audiences and Canadian audiences and basically the English world in general because he uses the trick of having two foreign women who can't speak each other's language to speak English uh, because uh, English is uh, one of the more well-known international languages for business and, and whatever. Um, it really only takes place in one room and that's it. Uh, it takes place in the room in Rome. Uh, it's uh, two women in the middle of the night, uh, maybe like midnight, uh, are laughing and you can tell they're a bit boozed and uh, they are in a square below this window so the camera never leaves the room so that's kind of cool uh, the only time it would actually leave the room is if it went in onto the balcony but again uh, based off of the title room in Rome uh, this suite um, all the rooms from the bathroom to the bedroom to the living area to the balcony are all considered the quote-unquote room um, so it looks like they just were two people that met at a bar had some fun got boozed up um, they were gonna uh, walk back to their hotel rooms and uh, the Russian woman was gonna continue to leave to, you know go home or go to her hotel room uh, but the Spaniard hey, says hey why don't you come up to mine we can have a nightcap a couple more boot drinks or whatever so uh, that's what happens where the two leads come into uh, the room that the camera happens to be uh, looking down at them. It's a second or third story room. It's right in the center of, of Rome so you can see all the wonderful uh, architect of um, the city and the rooftops and whatnot. 
the building is very old, uh, most likely from uh, hundreds of years ago, turned into a hotel, a boutique hotel, and uh, so begins our story. Um, the story is interesting because we don't know much about the two women at the beginning. Uh, Alba, the, the Spaniard, uh, tells, you know, they basically say where they're from generally, the countries, but they're very mysterious where they don't give their last names at first. Um, they don't talk about what they do, uh, who they are, or whatever. Uh, but one thing we do learn immediately is Alba, the Spaniard, is um, a lesbian, and she immediately makes a play for the the, the Russian Natalia, uh, I mean Natasha. Um, Natasha, um, bit drunk, goes for it a little bit, and before anything happens, uh, Alba passes out from boozing it up and uh, Natasha sneaks out of the room to the hall and is going to leave but something occurs uh, she had forgotten her cell phone so she has to go back she's locked out of the room I was just gonna have to knock on the door but the phone rings at one o'clock in the morning or whatever time it is and it wakes up Alba so she's now uh, out of her stupor and she goes answers the door and brings uh, Natasha back into the room and this is where the story really begins um, this one here there's uh, um, numerous uh, nude scenes um, and uh, sex scenes in a sense however uh, being the director uh, Julio Medim is these are though strong and definitely not for children uh, they are and most certainly not um, as graphic in a sense as some of the other films I've seen specifically um, Below Her Mouth and Blue is the Warmest Color um, but they are still fairly um, explicit in a sense uh, just for the fact they're nude and 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 whatever um, we do learn things about the two lead actresses so the movie is not really just a lesbian film like most of these films uh, it is more about t two people in lives that they may or may not really enjoy um, I will say one thing one of the women actually is very happy with her life uh, by the end it, it, her life isn't a hundred percent of what she had hoped and there's some sad stories but all in all she's happy and has no issue with heading back to her real life um, of uh, what she does and who she's with and all that uh, the other character uh, is a little bit more melancholy about her life and though she will go back to her life most likely um, I think she could have she could jump ship pretty easily and uh, and choose a different life pretty quickly 
Um, I'm not saying which of the two characters is which. Uh, you would probably just have to watch it. Um, the film actually uh, has some interesting traits about it, but before I even do that, I explain some of the interesting things, specifically the magical realism aspect that makes this, I guess, a genre film in a sense. So let me read the back jacket of the, the movie. Uh, I have the disc here. Uh, unfortunately, the disc has only a trailer as an extra, which is a damn shame because this would have been a fantastic movie to get a commentary on by uh, the director or either actress. Um, and this is what it says. Life, like the erotic classic Last Tango in Paris, the new drama, Room in Rome, is a controversial, boundary-breaking film about two women who bear their bodies and their souls during one memorable night in a hotel in Rome. Writer-director Julio Madem, the international smash hit Sex and Lucia, he directed, returns with this provocative tale of Elba and Natasha, two strangers meet tentatively flirt, and then head to Elba's hotel room where they exchange life stories amidst passionate bouts of lovemaking. The stunning actresses, Elena Ananya, uh, she was in uh, Pedro Almodova's films, Talk to Her and Sex and Lucia by uh, this director, and Natasha Yarovenko from Diary of a Nymphomaniac, I think that's a Von Trier film, but I'm not sure. Uh, unflinchingly unflinchingly expose... Oh, let me see. Unflinchingly expose their deepest desires. The two women grow increasingly honest emotionally the closer they get physically. Certain to be a landmark in cinematic sexuality, Room in Rome is a serious and sexy foray into uncharted territory. Uh, variety uh, Jonathan Holland uh, wrote a review, and uh, there's a blurb here. It says, A night of sex, reflection, psychoanalysis, and more sex. Um, now, uh, wh what does that all mean? Um, well, it's uh, the, the first thing is most certainly that both women are incredibly gorgeous, um, and you get to see them in the buff pretty much the whole film, because uh, a lot of times they're just talking, and when they're talking, they either have no clothes on or are lightly covered with nightgown or, or whatever. Um, so it's really a film of where two people, quote-unquote, lost souls, uh, hit up by a little bit of booze, uh, begin to bond together, uh, using each other almost as um, psych psychiatrists, and where they, uh, in between, uh, have uh, passionate uh, sex, in a sense. Um, now, this film is a magical realism for a number of reasons. Um, the room that they're in has dozens of paintings. Um, some of them may actually be part of the, the building from years ago, you know, actually painted on the wall. Others are... Um, uh, a fairly well done fo fi uh, portraits or whatever probably by local artists and uh, the hotel just hung them up but each of them has specific scenes in history or scenes of important people in history and as the movie goes uh, quote unquote coincidentally 
uh, as they talk, the two lead women, uh, these paintings um, present themselves as backdrops to their own life, um, where the two actresses actually even notice this um, and point it out as they go. There's also a scene of, um, I guess, uh, well, magical realism, where there's actually a supernatural thing that does occur at one point in the film. Um, I think it's where the character that is more melancholy breaks out of uh, that feeling by uh, having the supernatural event occur and the other character or the other woman she participates in breaking that supernatural uh, effect and uh, you'll know it when you see it I won't say what it is because obviously I would be giving away a little bit um, this film actually uh, was pretty good I at first was like okay this is a little weird because it was a little too I mean I, I felt it was gonna be a, a straight drama is what I felt um, and instead it turns out to be magical realism and so I wasn't expecting that so at first I was a little intimidated with the film and was like eh. but um, I stayed with it after like 10 minutes and uh, it was a solid film I liked the, the two leads uh, they were they were really uh, well cast um, they're both beautiful women. Um, they were both interesting. I enjoyed their stories. Um, the tales they tell um, actually add up to make this film have a cohesive story. Uh, so it's not really just like a dinner with Andre where it's two people just talking the whole film for no reason. Um, here they is they you know there's there's numerous rooms that they go to. The topics switch vary from their work to their families to their history and then they even use a computer in an ingenious way where they use Google Maps um, continuously throughout the the movie when they say oh this is where I'm from and let me show you on the computer and things it's, it's really interesting how it works um, and again it's, it seems too good but again, because this is a, a genre film based off of magical realism, uh, magical realism meaning uh, things that are supernatural are, I guess, just lie at the outskirts of everything in the movie, um, make it make it feel uh, legit and and uh, flow well uh, when they do all these weird things that. Um, don't seem real but they do feel real in a film like this uh, so I, I would recommend it uh, one thing I have to mention is there's some interesting song choices for this film um, a lot of music in this film which is interesting uh, again maybe it's because it's because of uh, two people in a room basically um, so there's some uh, lyrics I mean some some songs with no lyrics at all uh, but there is a, f a couple of songs with lyrics um, and uh, there it's kind of folksy very much uh, woman f rock slash folk singers of the 70s or 60s sound 
uh, did some research on it, and uh, it's by a woman named Russian Red. At least that's what she goes by. Um, she's a Spaniard uh, singer. Does all her music in English. Uh, the reason she's called Russian Red, or she took that name as her her stage name, is because she wears Russian red lipstick, so uh, a color of red uh, called Russian Red, and she wears that lipstick and is well known and famous for that. Uh, so uh, she goes by that moniker. I did look on iTunes, and sure enough, uh, her music is available there, and uh, is definitely worth checking out. Um, I think it's pretty solid. This song here in this movie may be a little sappy for most, but uh, I listened to some of her other stuff, and it's really good folk rock music, um, and uh, definitely a high recommend there. If you like talky films, uh, this film is good. If you like dramas, character studies, and art house, this is really good. Um, if you like seeing two beautiful women naked fooling around in bed, this is for you. Uh, so all in all, uh, a strong film, well done, and um, I'm surprised it doesn't have as much um, uh, notice as uh, this director's uh, more famous film because uh, this is a fairly well-made film and uh, IFC did release it. So, uh, yep, uh, I recommend. <laughs> film I'm going to talk about now is entitled Duck Butter. Uh, Duck Butter obviously is the most odd name of any of the films that I am reviewing tonight, uh, but either way, um, let's get into some of the information. Uh, the film is directed by Miguel Arteta. Miguel Arteta also co-wrote the film. Uh, he is probably well known as an independent cinema director, award winner, but most specifically for the film The Good Girl, starring Jennifer Aniston, which I think uh, she may have been up for or was a favorite to be up for an Academy Award for that role, uh, but never never got it. But uh, either way, um, she uh, was st starred in that film along with Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, he did a film called Youth in Revolt, which uh, starred Michael Cera. Um, he also... Uh, did a film called Cedar Rapids, um, starring Ed Helms. Uh, all were fairly well received. Um, the film basically stars two actresses. Um, the first actress is Alia Shawkat. Alia Shawkat plays the character of Naima. Naima, and then the other actress is Laia Costa, play, uh, playing the character of Sergio. Alia Shawkat is somewhat known to f folks. Uh, she was a uh, star or one of the cast members of a television called Arrested Development, which I think uh, has a huge cult following. i never seen the show, but I, I know uh, it was well received and uh, a, lot of, a lot of folks like that show. Uh, again, the cult following behind it. Uh, for me, I, I know her from uh, supporting roles from two genre films, specifically The Green, uh, Green Room, which was a horror film from a couple of years ago, and The Final Girls, a horror comedy from a couple of years ago. Uh, so folks probably have seen her who listen to this podcast from one of those two movies or Arrested Development. La Ia Costa is a Spaniard actress from Spain. Uh, she 
uh, is new to me. I've never seen her before, and based off of her filmography, uh, she mostly does Spanish language uh, films in from other countries that actually have not been really brought over to the states. Uh, so n nothing of note that would have been something I have would have seen. I should say. Um, the film was produced by the Duplass brothers. Uh, folks probably know who the Duplass brothers are from numerous um, movies, uh, Creep, Creep 2. Um, they they uh, have done a number of genre films such as Safety Not Guaranteed. Um, Black Rock uh, was uh, written by one of them and so on and so forth. So uh, anybody who's uh, listened to this podcast probably know who they are too. Uh, but either way, they actually have a supporting role in this movie as themselves. Uh, basically, we have um, the lead actress, uh, Leah Sharkat, playing Nayama. Nayama. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's just the weirdest name ever. Nayima. I'll go with Nayima. Um, and she uh, happens to be a bit actress in Hollywood, trying to uh, make it. And based off of um, who she is, she's most likely going to be stuck as a character actress at best. Um, here she gets a fairly decent role in a Duplass film, and uh, it's a role where speaking part and whatnot. Uh, unfortunately, she gets, or not gets in an argument, but what she does is she suggests to the Duplass brothers that she wants to do the role a certain way. And they listen to her and whatnot. Don't seem excited about it, but they said, "All right, all right, you know, we'll 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 look into it and we'll let you know." Um, so that night, after she leaves the set, she and her friends go out to party, basically go to a downtown bar, and uh, there's karaoke going on and whatnot. And there's this pretty woman on stage singing uh, some song, not too well. But she has some charisma, and as I stated, she's fairly attractive. After the song, she uh, heads over to the bar, waiting for a drink, and Naima heads over and starts talking to her, and uh, we meet this character named Sergio, played once again by Leia Costa, the other lead actress of the film. Uh, they kind of hang out pretty much the whole night, um, and uh, Sergio seems a little odd, but you know she's... She's uh, good-looking and, and well-rounded, talkative, whatnot. Um, but uh, she wants to uh, hook up, basically, with uh, Naima um, for, like, as the back jacket says. And uh, let me read that back jacket. Let me, let me read it. This is interesting. After having instant chemistry, Naima and Sergio want to connect in ways they never have with anyone before. Dissatisfied with the dishonesty they see in dating and relationships, they make a pact to spend 24 hours together and have sex on the hour every hour. Thinking they have discovered a new way to create intimacy right away, they jump into this experiment by removing the choice to walk away and unveiling everything to each other. It's like dating someone for three years in one day. As the pheromones fade, the challenge becomes remaining honest till the very end. Uh, so what, what this film is called is, is, I guess, experimental comedy. And I guess that 
that is a fear because it is a more of a light film than, than some of the dar darker or or dramatic films um, that have been reviewed on this episode. Um, so w let's see. Uh, so yeah. So uh, the Sergio character wants to do this weird relationship thing, and uh, Naima obviously can't do it. She's got a job. Uh, you know, could work over weekends, whatnot. Uh, so, you know, has the fling and that's it. But the next morning she gets a call from her agent saying that the Duplass brothers have let her go. They state that uh, she simply just doesn't fit the role. Um, and the agent tries to say, don't give up. Again, this has nothing to do with you. It's just that sometimes roles just don't work for certain people. But honestly, what it was is she would not play the game and she rather than suggest ideas to the Duplass brothers meaning the people that are the head of the film she's trying to change the film and therefore she is let go so she's in a quandary of life she just lost her job uh, no prospects coming up she has no idea um, whether or not She'll even have a ch second chance with another film or another production. Uh, this was a pretty good role. It's gone. Um, would the, the Duplass brothers not recommend her if they got calls? Because they w would they say, oh, she's too hard to work with? Who knows? But either way, she's not happy. So she, being down in the dumps, runs over to Sergio's house and says, okay, I'm, I'm up for it. Let's do it the 24 hours uh, sex on the hour and no backing out so uh, it's an odd and interesting concept um, very very strange I mean but again this is Los Angeles and the characters are portrayed as very um, unique or different uh, or not not part of the norm so you could see bohemian people you know doing something like this and so it, it doesn't feel that outrageous even though it is outrageous uh, because of the people who are participating now uh, this film uh, this film uh, did get mixed reviews more to the negative uh, you know 50% or less on Rotten Tomatoes um, I have to state that this was the worst film I saw of all the films I'm reviewing today in this episode uh, I actually thought it was god-awful, um, absolutely horrendous. Um, the women are, are attractive, and so, you know, that is good, and so you get to see some uh, attractive women on the screen, but the story is just pathetically boring. Um, this quote-unquote experiment bombs. Uh, the characters are way too eccentric and weird, in my opinion. They do things that are so outrageously stupid and gross and when I say outrageously stupid I'm not talking about anything dangerous or anything like that it's just that people just don't act this way again this is behind closed doors two people behind closed doors doing and talking and saying things that are strange but I couldn't even see this as normal even behind closed doors and when I say that I'm not talking about weird sex or or crazy cultish things behind I'm just talking about 
too eccentric people that act way too eccentric. Um, so I, I did not like this film at all. Um, I was going to try to watch it a second time before I reviewed this film, um, but I just didn't have the time. Uh, I, I must say I, I do not regret not having the time because I was able to use my time for better things because my guess is if I rewatch the film, I may have the same thoughts as I do now. Um, now, the, uh, the title we do get explained in this film, unlike some of the other films, uh, later on we do get the title explained, and it is a little gross in-joke, um, but nothing, nothing horrendously outrageous like some of the things in the film itself. Um, uh, but the, uh, I mean, it, besides th those terrible eccentric, weird things that these characters do and say, and it's like what? Um, it, it, honestly, the film was just plain boring. Um, it, it just really wasn't all that enjoyable. Uh, it's, it's called comedic, and uh, but I felt it was more potty humor nonsense rather than funny. Um, again, this isn't slapstick comedy by any means. When I say comedy, they just mean like a little lighthearted comedy. Uh, but I felt it was gross comedy, personally. Uh, again, it's just spattered, splattered out through the film are a number of uh, sex and nude scenes. So, yeah, at least I'm going to watch that. So, and, and that was okay. But it doesn't make up for just a lousy plot, a boring story for a premise that seems kind of interesting, especially for where it takes place and with bohemian characters. But, yeah, I, I unfortunately can't recommend it. Uh, I don't mean to be hard on the film, but, I mean, it's just not for me. Uh, maybe it, someone else would like it. Um, again, this director is, is fairly well-known. Uh, the lead actress um, is pretty... Uh, prolific in, in, in her credits. She actually co-wrote wrote this film. But, again, I, I don't get it, and I, I did not like it. Uh, so I would most certainly not recommend this film. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you want, you know, rent it or buy it or watch it, but I wouldn't recommend it. I'm sorry. Uh, so, yeah, uh, that's called Duck Butter, uh, 2018. Okay, this review actually may not have as much sound in the background uh, just for the fact that it's not a hot day and the air conditionings and fans are not on like they were when I, I recorded some of the other reviews for this Halloween Boutique Psychotronic Review episode. Uh, this film here is entitled Bear, B-A-R-E. It's a 2015 film. Uh, it is uh, directed by Natalia Leti and uh, written by her as well. Uh, it stars Diana Agron and Paz de la Huerta. Uh, those are the two big uh, stars of the film. Uh, Chris Z Zilka is also in it. Chris Zilka is probably most known for um, uh, the HBO television series Leftovers. But, uh, again, the main stars are Diana Argron and Paz de la Huerta. Uh, before I go into uh, the actresses and the director and what they have done, uh, let me read the back uh, commentary for the disc that I have here. 
and this one actually has some pretty good uh, extras as well. Uh, the disc is uh, actually, believe it or not, um, a a Tribeca Film Festival release. Generally, uh, it was a film that uh, played at Tribeca in 2015 and um, it was an official selection. Uh, it's a 90-minute film and uh, this is what it says on the back of the uh, DVD that I have here. Uh, there is no Blu-ray version of this film. After a lifetime of living in her sheltered and rural hometown without any apparent means of changing a certain fate, Sarah discovers a possible way out in Pepper, a mysterious female drifter. Through Pepper's influence, Sarah is motivated to take a job at a highway strip club where Pepper sells drugs. Underneath Sarah's search for freedom is her discovery of love, but as their friendship develops into a romance, Sarah's life veers further away from what it was. She soon finds herself trapped in a double life and quickly realizes what happens when real life collides with fantasy. Uh, the, the disc has extended scenes and trailers, so basically extended scenes meaning um, uh, scenes that were trimmed and they're uh, now here as extras as a full um, extended cut so a lot of people just throw them in with with uh, deleted scenes um, but I'm sure everybody knows what I'm talking about uh, but the main importance is there's a director's commentary on uh, this disc and uh, uh, that alone is probably worth a purchase now uh, to the people in front of and behind the camera uh, Diana Agron um, was the reason this film got some notoriety, uh, specifically for the fact that uh, she was in the television show Glee and had become getting a fairly large following of fans um, and so forth. Uh, she had a recurring role in Veronica Mars and was actually in Heroes as well, so a big television actress and has uh, some note. Um, I guess from uh, what we would call television and therefore a huge fan base, specifically from Glee. Uh, the film actually uh, got some notoriety because it uh, portrays uh, a character she does that isn't necessarily her typical roles. Uh, specifically, this character um, takes drugs at points, uh, becomes a new dancer, and you actually see uh, the actress in her first nude role, so it got a large press specifically because of that. Um, now, uh, the other actress, Paz de la Huerta, uh, she's a pretty big actress specifically in television and genre and independent cinema. Uh, she had a big role in uh, the TV show uh, Boardwalk Empire. I uh, never saw the show, but uh, I know that uh, folks know her from there. Uh, I know her from a number of films, uh, specifically uh, the horror film Nurse 3D uh, and Enter the Void. Uh, those are two uh, fairly well-known um, genre films. Um, also, uh, she was in uh, the Canadian film The Editor. Uh, she was a star in that, too, which uh, was another uh, big film a couple of years ago, at least in genre circles. Um, and she is well known for being a very, what we call, not modest on camera. Uh, she usually does full frontal nudity and uh, in this film 
uh, it's similar to that. Uh, the director, as I said, was Natalia Leite. Um, she's actually originally from Brazil. Um, I had no idea that she had done this film until I watched it, uh, but I am uh, somewhat a fan of her because of her second feature-length feature, which happened to be, or at least the feature, second feature-length feature that I know of. Uh, she, she She's done some web stuff, but her two films are bare from 2015, uh, but I had her film from 2017 on my top 10 horror films of last year. I believe I had it as the second best horror film of last year, entitled MFA, um, and MFA was a film starring Clint Eastwood's daughter, um, and that was a fairly strong movie. Uh, definitely worth checking out. Um, now this film here is an interesting film. It takes place in the middle of uh, nowhere. Um, I think the, I think it's Nevada. So it, it's like a small town in Nevada. Um, the town is I don't know. It's a, I guess it's a I wouldn't say it's a suburb of Reno, but it is a uh, in the vicinity, maybe 20, 30 miles away or so. Um, it uh, was filmed both in Nevada, but also in uh, New Mexico, uh, mostly in New Mexico. Um, so it's curious that the town that takes place for this film, uh, even though it's Nevada, it is considered um, uh, New Mexico as... Uh, the scenery, because it is all New Mexico for the town. The, really, the Nevada uh, filming was only for a sojourn to Reno when uh, two, the two characters head there. Uh, basically, uh, the character by Diana Agron is uh, named Sarah. Sarah is a uh, unskilled woman uh, post high school. Uh, so sh her job works at a um, grocery store, Walmart-type store. So, you know, one of those stores that kind of have everything. Um, the locals are typical in the sense that even after high school and they become adults, there's still animosity that follows people from high school. So she has some co-workers that are in her, her group that she doesn't necessarily um, like. Um, and vice versa, for no apparent reason. Um, she's fairly a uh, polite girl. Um, her mother and she are pretty close. Her mother has uh, a husband that's not her father, so like a stepdad or something. And um, he seems generally like a decent guy, but um, obviously he's he's more into his spouse rather than a, a stepdaughter. Um, she gets uh, fired from a job and uh, and then moves on to working at a chicken fast food restaurant. Um, and what it is is her father has passed and uh, they used to own a store, uh, antiquities or, or uh, secondhand goods type store. And uh, they still own the property and the store, but the store is basically closed. So it's just an empty 
building, when I say empty, I mean it's still filled with the junk, but it's empty in the sense that it's not used uh, for sales any longer. Um, then there's this woman named Pepper, played by Paz de la Huerta, who comes into town. Um, you see her leave, um, uh, I don't know, a bigger, t bigger town, bigger city. Heads into town, doesn't have much money, uh, maybe on the run from like drug pushers or something, and she breaks into uh, this old uh, secondhand store and crashes on a couch that happened to be in the store, specifically probably for, for sale that was never sold when it was open. Um, so uh, the lead actress, her character, once again, um, Sarah, she visits the store often because she wants the memories of her father and it's also a place to get away where she can go inside and not have anybody bother her and she meets Pepper. Uh, Pepper and her become friends. Uh, Pepper um, dresses more provocatively, uh, is an outsider, so she has a wilder side to her. Um, she shares uh, booze with her and so uh, this nice girl uh, from a dead-end town, dead-end job, um, feels a kinship and becomes fast friends with her. Um, eventually she finds out that Pepper is now working as a bartender at uh, the local strip joint in the town, uh, bar slash lounge, and uh, Diana Agron's character Sarah decides to, well, amateur night and uh, puts on a wig, uh, buys some provocative clothing, and begins dancing there. And she finds out that it is uh, good tips and a fairly uh, interesting work. Um, she becomes friendly with some of the dancers. Um, uh, she's offered uh, some drugs and whatnot. Um, again, this is not a, a girl going down the rabbit hole story, even though I'm making it sound that way. Uh, but it's more of a girl becoming aware of a different world from the life she happens to lead now. Eventually, uh, she and Pepper uh, become uh, lesbian lovers. Her boyfriend. Uh, finds out her her uh, and finds out that she may be a stripper. Um, her friends are somewhat shocked at these two new traits, and then you can guess that this is uh, one of the big, um, I guess, uh, plot points of the film. Um, now. Uh, even though this is a lesbian-themed film in a sense, uh, it's mo much more than that. Like a lot of these films that I've watched, uh, even though they talk about um, uh, things like um, money issues and rural setting versus um, city settings, uh, they talk about uh, things like um, leading a secret life and being found out and how will the people around you feel. 
Um, this and, and then of course the, the lesbian thing itself, is she bisexual or actually a lesbian and finding out that she uh, wants to live that life. Uh, but it, it's all more than that, this is really more of a story of a woman trying to find herself and what she wants to do with her life. Uh, so it's really more uh, a character study on the Sarah character and whether or not she will be stuck in this town or should she leave and if she does leave does she leave with a boyfriend does she leave with her new girlfriend does she leave alone and even after she leaves after the post credit scene assuming she leaves or not what will her life be um, so all in all um, this is a fairly solid film uh, I enjoyed it uh, a whole lot um, I would I would most certainly recommend it especially if you like character studies um, or a fan of either of the two actresses involved uh, the film actually only has around 45% um, or so of Rotten Tomatoes um, not sure why uh, I think uh, some of the folks didn't know what the point of the film was and uh, even though the, the I think the point specifically is of a woman trying to find herself in the world I actually think most folks felt it was just a month in the life of a person and therefore a character study of just following that person in that uh, time frame of one month um, but I think it was more than that um, so yeah I would recommend this film uh, again if you're a fan of either of the lead actresses uh, definitely check it out um, if you're a fan of um, the director from her most recent film MFA uh, this one's worth going back and checking out as well unlike that one this one is uh, a drama rather than a thriller psychological thriller or horror as the MFA was um, but all in all solid film and recommend <laughs>
uh, Bryce Dallas Howarden. Um but uh, she plays one of the lead roles in that. Uh, but of course, she was in High Tension, which is uh, the horror film from France. Uh, she was the lead actress in that. The woman with short hair in that. Um, so folks may know who she is. She's actually not originally from France, and I don't know if she is a French citizen, but um, she is from Belgium, and she's Walloon, Belgium, meaning she's um, a, a French-speaking Belgian. Uh, Belgium is one of the few countries in Europe that actually doesn't have their own distinct language. Instead, uh, Belgium is broken into two different uh, groups, the Walloons and the Flemish. The Flemish are the Dutch, and the Walloons are the French. Um, so she does a lot of, obviously, French films because of that. Um, the other actress um, that I mentioned, the other lead, who's really the actual lead of the film, in my opinion, is um, Zia Higlin. Zia Higlin is oddly most well-known for uh, being a rock star in France. Um, she's known as Zia in France. Uh, she plays, like, uh, punk and um, I guess hard rock uh, things like that um, I checked her on iTunes and sure enough all her albums are there uh, it's pretty solid stuff uh, definitely something that um, people should check out um, now uh, what's this film about well basically this film is a period piece film it takes place in the early 70s um, they, there's a woman who lives in, I think, the northwest part of France. Uh, that's um, the Azir character, uh, and her character's name is um, basically uh, Delphine. Delphine. And so Delphine uh, lives in this very rural section of France. She's a farmer's daughter, uh, works the farm with her mother and father. Um, and when I say farm, I mean, you know, we're talking hay, we're talking, I mean, really, like, like Iowa-type stuff here, right? So, uh, middle of nowhere, France. Um, uh, the people, uh, meaning the, the farming community, is pretty strong. They work together, they, they uh, share it and buy community uh, tractors and stuff. So, so there's a lot of, um, everybody knows everybody in this town. Uh, Delphine... Uh, decides that um, she wants to move on. Basically, uh, doesn't know what she wants in life. She's graduated from high school. She's working the farm. Her family and the town already expect her to be uh, someone that's going to marry um, this boy that lives in the town. Uh, so, so I mean, it's almost like everything is set for her, even though she hasn't really chosen any of it. Uh, the problem is is that she lives a uh, secret life as a lesbian. There's a girl at the very beginning of the film that breaks up with her. She's planning to go to college, or, or no, she's planning to get married. And uh, uh, Delphine is like, why? What? I thought we had something. She goes, oh, that was just a fling. It was nothing serious. It was just to basically get laid uh, by a, uh, another woman, and, and that wasn't the way I'm going to live my life for eternity. Or to, you know, so, so she's all bummed. So she bails from the town and heads to Paris, 
again early 70s um, walking the streets of Paris is a group of uh, prototypical feminists of the era uh, where they're running down the street slapping men on the ass uh, and as they're doing it they're screaming um, how do you like it uh, now it's us to do it to you you know things like that um, but it, it come, turns off turns out to feel more silly than than anything and uh, Delphine thinks it's kind of funny uh, she knows no one in France so she decides to um, join up with this group because they hand a, a pamphlets out as they're running and, and one of them says you know we meet once a week or whatever to discuss women's rights issues uh, one of the women in this group is this pretty blonde woman named uh, Carol and that's played by Cecile de France. Um, so, yeah, we learned it's an interesting film in the sense that the critics liked it a lot. It got over 80%. Uh, but I, I did read a few of the re critics' uh, reviews that were negative, and uh, they felt that it was interesting about the early feminist part as a story, uh, but the movie does shift to a completely different. Uh, thing later that the feminist part is only a way to get people to meet rather than the main story. Uh, let me read the back jacket of, of the movie. It uh, says here, sensual and elegant Catherine Corsini's summertime follows Carol and Delphine as they fall in love against the backdrop of early feminist activism in 1971 France. After living in the city, Delphine is called home to help with her family farm in the countryside and is forced to choose between her responsibility to them and the life of love she had in Paris with Carol. This sizzling lesbian affair is as good as Todd Haynes's Carol, uh, this is, that was stated by New York Times Stephen Holden, uh, an enlightening tale about the infatuation of first love and its universal themes. Um, some blurbs, A Sizzling Lesbian Affair by New York Times, lovely, sultry, intelligent, village voice, beautifully realized, tearjerker, powerful, variety. Uh, a warm burst of romantic bliss, uh, again by New York Times. Uh, the director, actually I, I did find out is a lesbian uh, in real life, so uh, um, she made a film based off of her own demographic. Um, so, uh, yeah, so the negative critics, basically, they the few, because, again, there's not many, got around 80, 86% Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, this is a French-language film, so make sure you understand that, subtitles, whatnot. Um, but uh, they weren't sure the true meaning of this tale, in a sense. They felt that it was more interesting uh, when it was in Paris rather than the rural part. While some critics actually felt the rural part was good and the Paris part was just a side thing show, uh, so, yeah, you know, whatever. But I, the, obviously, they, they both merge perfectly together because if you're going to use a period piece, um, obviously, in a rural section of a, a town, unlike in a, a film like AWOL, which I review for this episode, um, which is a modern film, uh, one sexuality is, is probably more controversial back in the day. And so, if you go to the big city, you can be more open rather than a small community where uh, something different can be intimidating or um, and sometimes scary. Um, 
so uh, Delphine becomes friendly with the, the the folks here. There's a subplot about um, a gay brother of one of the uh, women's right people who is thrown in a mental institution simply for the fact that he's gay. Delphine decides that she wants to help this person and help her friend in the group while most of the group don't want to have anything to do with it because all they care about is women's rights and gays have nothing to do with them, especially men. Um, but as we can see here, Adelphine isn't in the group for the politics. She's in the group for the friendship. And in her eyes, um, helping the fr one of her friend's brothers from a dire situation is important. Um, so I think that was a setup to show that the, uh, her thinking uh, of the, in the film rather than uh, the film being a political film about women's rights. Um, now Carol lives with her boyfriend. Uh, she's very close to him. Um, and then uh, eventually uh, Delphine makes a, a pass at Carol. Carol is turned off. But within an hour or so later or, or whatever, uh, she says, why not, let's try it, and she likes it. Uh, unlike some of these other films, this failing feels very real compared to some of the other films I reviewed because, again, there's a good period between Carol and Delphine just being friends. So their, their friendship is as powerful as the lust. So it's not, there's no, I mean, you got... Uh, her hormones driving them together, but again, unlike some of these other films, you could see them falling in love in this film for the fact that they were already good friends prior to uh, the relationship. Um, Carol doesn't live a hidden life, unlike Delphine, uh, because she tells her boyfriend and you can gather there's some issues, uh, nothing to do with um, the the alternate lifestyle, but simply for the fact that how can you have a relationship with two different people? It's either me or or Delphine. So uh, that was pretty interesting, more realistic, um, and shows the interesting aspect of the 1970s, the city life versus say suburban or rural. Um, eventually, Delphine's father has a, a stroke slash heart attack. Um, she has to go back to her hometown, and eventually Carol follows because obviously she's in love with uh, Delphine. Um, now, th this is an interesting film in the sense that Delphine was a lesbian at the beginning, while Carol didn't even know she was a lesbian, and then she now has become a bisexual individual, um, and she's the one that is willing to give everything up for the relationship, while Delphine, unfortunately, has other things that she has to think of as well, which is family and, and land. Um, with her father having this, this, this stroke slash heart attack, he becomes disabled, there's no one to work on the farm now except for the mother. Back in the day, 
um, the farming community, all the bank statements and all that. Who's going to do that? The father can't. Um, and now we have Delphine, quote unquote, wearing the pants now for the family. Uh, and she brings back Carol with her. Um, now this is the, this is where we get the another interesting aspect of this film, which is um, well, there's two. One is, do you go for the love, or do you go for the responsibility? And technically, nowadays in 2018, you could do both. But back in those days, you can't because homosexuality in a small rural town is a no-no. Um, we're talking, yeah, it's it's not not gonna gonna be good. So even though Carol is willing to throw away her urban lifestyle and everything to work on a rural farm completely different than anything she's done she goes with it with no issue and she actually enjoys the work generally and it's not because of what she's doing but it's because of who she's doing it with which is Delphine. Delphine however Bad, quote unquote bad enough that she has to do the the um, quote unquote money, men work and when I say men work I'm not talking about working the farm I'm talking about doing the bank statements working the money uh, making deals uh, with the, the town and, and crops and all that stuff uh, she's the only woman doing it and the other thing is is she has to hide this relationship with her lover because she does not want to uh, be known to uh, yeah um, being living a alternate lifestyle um, of course there's a s eventual scene where the boy that lives in the town uh, the mother uh, of Delphine says uh, you guys should set the wedding and this obviously causes issues with Carol um, so yeah there's a there's gonna be a problem um, and so I won't say what happens but it could be a big problem it could be a issue with uh, is it gonna be a love triangle is it gonna be uh, a thing where she gets outed is it going to be Carol uh, leaving is it going to be Carol leaving and Delphine deciding to follow there's so many ways this could go again I'm not going to say what happens uh, you should just watch the film if this sounds interesting to you uh, but all in all uh, this is a solid film and deserves its 80 whatever percent on Rotten Tomatoes um, the two lead actresses uh, as people I liked um, though uh, some of their politics specifically at the very end may or may not be considered controversial for at least one of the the characters um, it's it seems like their hearts are in the correct place um, it's it's an unfortunate thing um, showing uh, what happens in a period piece uh, similar to like a film like um, Brokeback Mountain where we have two characters that 
are living in a time and a place that isn't going to approve of how they feel. I mean, if they could just live publicly and open with their relationship, there's no issues here because, you know, two women, uh, the quote-unquote politically astute Carol from the urban city has no issues with throwing all that away to go and live a decent and uh, honest living on a farm with the person she loves. Uh, unfortunately for Delphine, uh, it's different. A town that she is from where she's already been um, given a, an opinion by everybody of who she is and what she is that this unfortunately um, is a problem for her. So uh, this film was very interesting for many aspects such as that. Uh, it's not the best film I've watched, but it's definitely one of the top half of the films I've, I saw for this episode. So uh, I, would, I would recommend it, once again. Summertime. Okay, so those are the films that I reviewed for this episode of Halloween Boutique Psychotronic Reviews. Uh, basically, uh, I try to review them in the order that I watched them. So the order that you listen to the reviews was the order that I watched them for this specific episode. Uh, basically, I shall go over right now a quick roundup of the films. Uh, before that, though, I would like to talk about a little uh, interesting thing that happened to me with uh, one of the films, uh, Summertime. Uh, the French language film that I watched um, actually was a curious thing uh, to get to specifically for the fact that I was having problems with the disc. Uh, the company that releases it mustn't use a good uh, disc jacket because every time I would receive the disc it was loose and therefore scratched. Uh, so I ordered it through Amazon it came popped out of the the little thing that holds the disc. So I opened it. Sorry, it was a little scratch. Not too bad, but a little. But yeah, and Amazon's pretty good in re their returns. So I sent it back for a replacement. I received it again a couple of days later. Same thing. The disc was popped from its jacket. was loose, scratched up. Again, I return it. Uh, unfortunately, you can only return things twice, and they just refund your order. So I had to reorder it, so I reordered it for a third time. I received it. Again, it was popped out of the thing, and it was scratched up pretty bad. Resent it back for a replacement. I got it a fourth time. Same thing, but this time the disc is trashed. And it's like, oh my gosh. So I sent it back. Uh, but uh, again, you can't uh, receive it a third time. You have to create a new order. Amazon takes it down from their uh, site. And you can only buy it f through third parties. So I bought it through a third party for the fifth time. And this time it was loose again. Popped out. And it was just slightly scratched. So I watched it immediately to make sure that it was not what we would call uh, destroyed um, and skipping and all that and it was not so it was fine uh, but all in all um, five times five times it was loose brand new discs 
Um, now I looked, it is back on Amazon for sale. Uh, but all in all, a lot of problems with uh, that disc and uh, the distributor that uh, puts it together. Uh, just a heads up there. Now, to ref refresh the films that I watched, or uh, list them off once more, they are as follows. Below Her Mouth, uh, if you are a fan of art house films, this won't necessarily work for you. It was mismarketed in a sense. It is most certainly more a midnight movie, uh, therefore something that you would see on late night cable pay stations. Uh, the nudity and softcore sex scenes were unexpected since I was expecting an art house film. However, if you do like midnight movies, this will most certainly be a high recommend. Uh, both actresses are very attractive and uh, they are what we call very unmodest, based off of uh, its midnight movie um, feel. So uh, that's uh, a high recommend if you're a midnight movie fan, if you're looking for a straight drama related to the LGBTQ community, this film is not for you. Uh, the second film, AWOL, starring Lola Kirk, among others. Uh, this film is absolutely fantastic. It's a great film, a great story. I uh, love the lead character. Lola Kirk is an up-and-coming actress that I am most certainly f going to follow uh, in the future. I just watched another movie by her uh, because of AWOL uh, entitled Gemini that just came out uh, this year on VOD and it is excellent again and specifically because of her. Uh, the the movie itself is a great movie. Uh, high, high recommend. Uh, there is uh, some uh, complete nudity and uh, quick uh, sex scenes. Uh, so if you're into that, uh, this most certainly has it, where you get to see that lead two actresses in all their glory. However, it is uh, truly an art house, an indie film rather than a midnight movie. Uh, AWOL, high recommend. The next film is Blue is the Warmest Color, which is most certainly uh, the film that everybody knows uh, if they follow uh, what is considered the definition of a lesbian film. Uh, this film uh, was somewhat slow. I felt it was not as great as uh, the hype that originally came out uh, a few years ago when it first was released. Uh, since then, the movie has been tarnished because of the charges made by the two lead actresses against the director. Uh, but removing all that, uh, this movie was still a very solid film. Uh, the sex scenes and nudity uh, most certainly are something to note because uh, it is uh, fairly long, about 15 to 17 minutes of uh, these scenes in the three-hour running time, and they are fairly graphic as well. Uh, not as graphic as Below Her Mouth, but definitely uh, close to that. Um, but this is, unlike that film, a art house independent type film, and anyone who likes uh, dramas, character studies uh, about people and struggles of life and so forth, uh, this film is a high recommend. Uh, the next film is Room in Rome. Room in Rome is a curious film because though it is a drama, 
it has minor supernatural elements putting it into the category of magical realism um, so if you're looking for a straight normal drama such as uh, some of the other films that I've reviewed this is not it however it is a great film uh, highly enjoyed it um, it uh, is a bit odd as stated but um, the characters are likable enough and uh, if you're into uh, the midnight aspect of the films uh, there is a lot of nudity and softcore scenes um, basically the two lead actresses are either in skimpy clothes or nude throughout the film specifically because they are in a hotel room where they mostly are talking and discussing life um, and it is a film that um, would most certainly appeal to those who like character studies so I uh, recommend uh, the next film is called Duck Butter uh, this one is considered an experimental comedy, uh, though it is a drama. Um, it is not a film I would recommend. I did not like the film at all. The characters were too eccentric to the point of, in my opinion, being weirdos. I did not uh, enjoy the story. Uh, the idea or concept was a fairly uh, good one. It's just that it was not executed at all the way I had hoped so I would say avoid this film if you do like nudity and uh, sex scenes there are uh, plenty of that in this as well uh, the next film I reviewed or viewed is Bear B-A-R-E this is more of a character study about someone stuck in a small town um, but uh, it does have the uh, lesbian elements that are expected in these type of films so it is an LGBTQ film uh, this film was a good film I enjoyed it a lot I liked the setting again the rural setting of small-town America and of a character wanting to get out um, so uh, if you like character studies dramas um, art house films this is a, a really good one and I would uh, most certainly recommend it uh, the next film is Summertime. Summertime is a period piece film that takes place back in 1971. Again, rural and city, um, since half the film takes place in rural farm areas and the other half takes place in Paris. Uh, this is an interesting film for a number of reasons, including the period piece and the early um, political aspirations of uh, I guess feminism and, and woman at that time. Uh, however, the story about uh, love versus um, responsibility, especially in a time when you couldn't have both at the same time necessarily if you happen to be uh, a person that was um, a lesbian. So uh, to see this uh, on screen, it was very good. I liked the film a lot and it is a high recommend. Um, so that's uh, the Halloween Boutique Psychotronic Reviews. Uh, there's three ways you can find this podcast, though you already have found it because you were listening to it. Uh, the first is to go darkdiscussions.com. Darkdiscussions.com is where all the episodes are located, as well as all the other episodes under the Dark Discussions podcast umbrella. Uh, you can go to iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play and search for Dark Discussions Podcast where this will be in that feed along with all the other Dark Discussion Podcasts, Umbrella Podcasts. Um, or you can just simply 
uh, go to uh, Stitcher, Google Play, or iTunes Store and search for Halloween Boutique Psychotronic Reviews and you can find the feed there and it would only have the Halloween Boutique Psychotronic Review podcast episodes, not any of the others of the Dark Discussions podcast umbrella. If you have any questions uh, or suggestions or anything, please email darkdiscussions at AOL.com where I will uh, most certainly read your emails on the next episode of the podcast, which I hope will be next month. Also, uh, you can join us on Dark Discussions Podcast Facebook group where we discuss horror films, fantasy films, art house films, midnight movies, and whatever uh, that is genre or cult related. Um, so I hope to see you there. And I think that's pretty much it for now. Um, there, of course, were other movies I considered for this episode, including Bound, or The, the Handmaiden, or uh, other films that are more thrillers, but I wanted to more specifically focus on drama and indie art house type films for this episode, rather than specific to uh, genre films such as thrillers. Uh, but uh, with that stated, you can make your suggestions to darkdiscussions at AOL.com and let me know what you would like me to talk about next. So until then, thank you for listening and... Catch us on Dark Discussions Podcast. Mm-hmm.